Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday service here at Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive in Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have satisfied your righteousness and your justice through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And we thank you that you've raised him from the dead. And we know that whoever believes in your son will never perish but have eternal life. And that we are justified, declared righteous by you the moment that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Father, this morning as we continue to study and hear in the Gospel of John, we ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us, our thoughts, our understanding, prompt us to believe. We ask too, Father, that you look over and watch over the church, the whole church, our, the members of our congregation, persecuted people around the world, in particular suffering Christians everywhere. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If everybody could stand, and we will begin our song service this morning. Good morning again. Just have a couple of announcements this morning. Once again, a reminder that we will not be having services on Thursday, the 25th of August or Sunday, the 28th. We'll be taking a break. Again, no services Thursday, the August 25th or Sunday, August 28th. Secondly, a schedule note uh, on Sunday, September 18th, we'll be joined by Rich Freeman from Chosen People Ministries. He will be preaching that day. He is a Chosen People Ministries is a missionary evangelistic organization who's, uh, who, who particularly evangelizes the Jewish people. They're not only in the United States, but they're international. They have a presence uh, in many parts of the United States where there are large Jewish populations. They have a presence, as you could imagine, in Israel also. So please keep them in prayer. We look forward to Rich joining us again on Sunday, September 18th. All right, the title of today's message is I Am, which is what the Lord says about himself, followed by Will You. I Am, Will You. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 11, verse 25. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. With that one statement, that one I am, Jesus completely revolutionized the understanding of re resurrection, of life, and of himself. The resurrection, Jesus says, it's me. It's me. The resurrection is a person. The eternal life, it's me. 
And by the way, it's me, Jesus says, and only me. Jesus earlier in the Gospel of John had already said that he would be the one that would raise the saints from the dead on the last day. Now here he says, not only am I going to do that, not only am I going to raise you from the dead, but I am the resurrection. I embody everything that resurrection is. Resurrection, therefore, is more than a future event. The resurrection is a person and a particular person. The resurrection is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I say it that way because, of course, he's God in the flesh. But but when we talk about resurrection, Jesus had a bodily resurrection first. And so he represents resurrection in, in who he is in his humanity now. So it begins with the fact that Jesus of Nazareth, who is God, the Son, the Word, come down from heaven, taking flesh. It is he who dies for us, was, is buried and is raised from the dead. And on the last day, it will be he, Jesus Christ, now revealed as the Jewish Messiah, as well as the judge, as well as God in the flesh, who will raise everybody from the dead. Remember, we saw some to righteousness, some to judgment. And all of us will appear before him, all right? For the Christians of this dispensation, it'll be at the rapture. But all of us will come before him what the Bible calls the judgment seat and give an account for what, for what we've done after we believe in Christ. But at the, at the, and on the last day when Jesus comes down to earth, and human as well as God, the son of David, the son of God, he will, he will raise all, all people, good and bad, believer and unbeliever, from the dead. All right. Now, Jesus also said several times, a lot already in this gospel before chapter 11 here, that he gives eternal life. Again, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible statement, an unbelievable statement for a human being to say, which of course tells us that he is not only a human being, he's also God. He says that he gives eternal life to whoever believes in him. But here in verse 25, he goes beyond that even. And he's saying that this eternal life that I give you, it's me. I am eternal life. Who I am is eternal life. Whoever has me has eternal life. Eternal life, that means that we believe in Christ. He comes to dwell in our hearts as the Holy Spirit does. And, and literally eternal life is dwelling in us. Why? Because he's eternal life. Again, John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, to Martha, who just lost her brother Lazarus, who had just told Jesus that she believes that in the last day there will be a resurrection of the dead. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the resurrection. There's only one, the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives, believes in me, will never die. I want you to notice that after Jesus says, I am, followed by a description, a very a very specific description, two of them here, I am the resurrection, I am the life. And you should separate those two, by the way, because he does. We're going to see that in just a minute. He doesn't repeat himself. He's saying two things here. I am the resurrection and I am the life. But then he goes on. 
What does he say? He who believes in me. Can you see how he shifts what he is saying from a, from who he is to us, to every human being? Can you see that? He doesn't like he doesn't leave us out there neutral, just an audience to observe. He brings us right in there. He says, now that you know who I am, the resurrection, the life. Now, whoever among you believes in me, Jesus, will live. So not only is there the resurrection, but you will be participating in the resurrection. You will live even if you die. Interesting, he says that because in the rapture generation, right, they won't die, but they will live in the way that he's talking about, right? Live in a resurrection body. But even if you die, you will live in a resurrection body. But then he goes on with a second statement, again, bringing all everybody onto the picture here. He says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus follows his great I am with two additional statements. And again, he's not repeating for emphasis. You might think so. You might think that if you if you said, well, he's the resurrection in the life. Well, that's the same thing. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Well, that's the same thing. But it's not. It's two things. The first statement is what? I am the resurrection. And he follows that up with, now pay attention, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. You see, that first statement after the I am statement refers to the resurrection, the first thing that he mentioned about himself. You see that? Everyone, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Okay? He will have a life after he dies physically. That's what he's saying. Well, that's what resurrection is. Then he says, I am the life. And then in in verse 26, he says, everyone who lives and believes in me, who has that life, will never die. Now, that's something else. Not only will you have a resurrection body, right? You'll have that, that perfect life that Jesus has, but this life is forever. So he's talking about eternal life as well as the resurrection. It's, it's important to understand that. Now, see, when he when he says the resurrection, he then is going to tell, this is what the resurrection means. And, of course, he's going to say it such that you have to enter into this now. He says, this is what resurrection means. This is what resurrection means. It means this. It means that the body may go into the ground, but it will be raised to life someday. That's resurrection. Okay. Now, he means also something by the life. What does Jesus mean by the life? Well, the person who lives, right, even if he dies, will never die again. He means the life that never ends eternal life. So he's, he's both of those things. He is the resurrection. When you think about a body being raised from the dead, he is that. He embodies the whole power, the whole essence of resurrection. But beyond that, he is also the life. He is eternal life. Like he's going to say in John 14, 6, right? I'm the way. I am the truth. And what? I am the life. The life that never ends. The first promise is that you will live again in a resurrection body. That's the event. The second promise is that this life 
will never end. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that's incredible. That is amazing good news. What is it? What does it require in a sense? What does it demand? What does it call for? What does it elicit? Well, it demands a response. You see, before he says, uh, you will never die, you will, you will live even if you die. What does he say before that? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Then what? He who believes in me. See the response here? What does that mean? It means you ought to hear good news and respond to it. Right? I mean, that's the gospel. That happens when we preach the gospel, hopefully. And, you know, if we, pre- if we preach the gospel in the manner that the word of God specifies, it will demand a response of some kind. Now, we've seen in the gospel already that there's two responses, right? We have seen people hear what Jesus has to say and respond negatively. I won't believe that. The Pharisees, the scribes, the, the elders. But on the other hand, we see another, a second Response is a positive response. It is, I believe, like Martha says, I believe that you are the Christ. Not a Christ, by the way, but the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God, he who comes into the world. The man born blind, when Jesus appeared before him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, I don't, he says well, I don't know who he is. And Jesus said, the one who stands before you. And he says, Lord, I believe. You have positive responses, negative responses. But it's hard to find anybody ultimately who has heard Jesus say who he is that remains neutral. See, it demands a response. You can't sit on the fence. I mean, picture yourself. You're a sheep, for example, right? He's a good shepherd. Can you picture a sheep kind of tottering on a fence? Gee, do I go with the shepherd? Do I? No, that's not going to work. It's yes or no. Demands a response. It demands a response that's personal. What does that mean? It has nothing to do with who your parents are. It has nothing to do with what church you join. It has nothing to do about whether or not you baptize. Because people can be people can go into that tank and come up again and nothing happens. Why? Because it wasn't accompanied with belief. As a matter of fact, it's not necessary. But was one thing that is necessary. What is it? To believe the good news. To believe it. But you. You are to believe the good news. It's personal. It's not something where you show up in a crowd and everybody starts singing a song and everybody has goosebumps. And then you say, yeah, I did it. Why? Because I was in this crowd and they did it. No, it's personal. Jesus is looking you in the eye like he looked Martha in the eye, like he looked at the woman in the well in the eye. It's personal. It's personal for him. And it's personal for you, for me, for everybody individually. So in other words, he's saying, this is who I am. Right. There is a you can be one who lives even if you die. You can be one who never dies. But it demands a response, a personal response. What is he saying for these things to be true about you? So in other words, There's no question about me, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. There's no doubt. And yes, there will be those who will never die. There will be those who live even if he dies. But for that to be true about you, you have to respond to the truth about Jesus. Now, please take note carefully. 
I'm not saying that you have to do any works. He doesn't. Who cares what I say? The Bible doesn't say you have to do, right? doesn't say that I am the resurrection and the life. Now you have to be my disciple and follow me everywhere. Now, they, he wanted that, and he certainly said that in another context, but never with respect to salvation. There's only one response, right? How do we work the works of God? He was asked earlier on. He says there's only one, and that is to believe in him whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. No work to be done, but there is a response. You have to respond to the truth you hear about Jesus. By the way, we're t- in the context here, of course, we're talking about salvation, eternal life, resurrection. But you know something? That same principle is true for us as believers. Sure, you can come to church or or hear a message or read a message, and 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 you can understand it. But then the question still is: Do you believe it? Do I, what you're hearing when you hear, for example, that you have been adopted? By God the Father, the creator of all things. Do you believe it? That's the question. When when you're told that you are in Christ, do you believe it? That's the case. When you're told that all your sins have been forgiven, do you believe it? Or are you still searching for something else to kind of soothe your conscience? But in fact, Jesus took care of all your sins. And he says, your conscience can be clear when it, and, and should be clear when it comes to your sins. You no longer have to deal with the guilt of your sins. I, Jesus said, I took on your sins on the cross when I died for you. What's the issue? Do you believe that? Do you believe, as we sit here this morning, that when you commit a sin... Jesus has already died for that sin. You either do or you don't. If you don't, then you're going to be thinking, i got to do something else. I'm in a state of panic. I'm in a crisis until I do something. But when you understand that Jesus did it all, now, it doesn't mean you feel good about it. Okay? He does, by the way. There's a car there, something side by side, that says, I want you to stop it. Right? Like he said to the woman caught in adultery. Right? He said, listen. All right. I don't condemn you. This isn't an issue of condemnation. However, don't do that anymore. He tells us the same thing. Stop that. And oh, by the way, I've given you the power because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Right. There's no other power, by the way, you can do that. You can't do it with your willpower. Why? Because that's something you're doing. And believe me, you're going to fall short. Paul found that out. and He told us about it in Romans 7. Right. He said, in and of myself, I can know the, the word. I can know the, the law, but I can't do it. Why? Because the things that I want to do, I don't do. And he, he, he does. He, get, he reaches a point of ultimate frustration and says, I'm a wretched person. Who's going to rescue me from this body of sin, this body of death? And then, of course, he says, thanks be to God who's given us Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that ought to be our attitude, too. We ought to believe that our sins have been forgiven. But it's a personal response. Jesus asked Martha a personal question. Do you believe this? Now, the response is simple. It's not complicated. It's not climbing a mountain. It's not, it's not practicing all these things. It's not saying a rosary. It's not going to Mecca. It's what? A simple. Oh, by the way, a grace response. Grace just means that it's what God gives you. 
and for you to understand and believe in him. That's all. No work. One response is needed. You simply believe in this context in the one who is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this is the last I am statement that Jesus makes. Listen to this now. It is public ministry. Why do I say that? Well, because you probably you know, I think I've already mentioned there are seven. Right. I am followed by a predicate, they call it, or something that he is saying he is, you know, the life, the light, the bread of life and so forth. Good shepherd, the door. There's seven. All right. There's five of them in his public ministry and there's two in the night before he died in private with his disciples. But this is the last one in his public ministry. Not only that. But he's also about to perform his greatest sign miracle. In other words, this is a climactic moment. This is, as it were, a mountaintop moment. And what and what you do sometimes is when you're at that point, it's very appropriate to kind of look back and see where you've been, to take stock of what what is it that I've learned from taking this journey with the Apostle John from chapter 1 through where we are in chapter 11, verse 25. What's what's all of that? What let's make sense of that. Let's let's gather it. Let's hold on to it. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to revisit some things. They're all in the in the service of answering that one question that we've seen again and again. It's the question that you need to answer yourself. And that is, who is Jesus? That's why John wrote this gospel. To tell us who he is. And he tells us who he is in all kinds of ways. I say he, now I'm talking about the writer, tells us who Jesus is in many ways. Today we're going to look at three of them. Because there are three of the ways that the Gospel of John answers the simple question, who is Jesus? As it were, there's three categories of witness that we're going to look at today. These are not the only ones. If you recall, or I'll remind you now, when we were in chapter five, there alone, we saw and examined five kinds of witnesses. Some of them are identical to what we're going to look at today, but there were others as well that we're not going to look at today. For example, okay, the sign miracles themselves are a witness to who Jesus is. We're going to hold that for for the next week or a couple, three weeks from now, when we look right at the miracle, the greatest one. Then we're going to bring in a fourth one, because that's another powerful way in which Jesus declares who he is. But today we're going to look at three. The first one is at the very beginning of the gospel. Now, we've gone, we've made, I've made reference, we've gone to this place a lot already. And the reason is, is because in a sense it captures almost everything that comes after. It's called the prologue. Of course, John, the evangelist, is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's not something given to the people that we are now going to meet after that in the gospel. It's just given to the reader. But it's a great overview. It's a great summary. In some respects, it's the most amazing things of all that are said about Jesus. But what's interesting about the prologue itself it doesn't talk about Jesus in, in this sense. It doesn't name him, I should say. 
So what, what, and it, what it really does is it builds your suspense. Now, maybe not us. If you've read it a hundred times, you know, the, the suspense may no longer be there. But every once in a while, you know, you should read as if you've never read it before. And if you were to read that at prologue again, as you never read it before, you would see that you want to know who is this. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Who is that? Right? It brings you forward. He says, I'm going to read the rest of this because I want to know who he's talking about. So that's the first one. In the prologue, John makes a series of statements about what he said, who, I, who he identifies as the word. And you see the question that he sets up. It's in our hearts. If we're paying attention is who is this word and all the other things he's going to say. Who is this light that enlightens every man? Who is he? Who is this word who became flesh? So that means this, this is a person who is human as well as the word. Who is he? That's the first one we're going to look at. That comes at the very beginning. The other two follow the course of his public ministry. In other words, from time to time in his public ministry, we're going to see and hear other things said about who he is. Now, the, the second one, that, and that follows along with his public ministry, is there are various people who speak the truth about who Jesus is. See, we're, we're, we're taking stock this morning. So we're going to look. I'm, I'm obviously, I'm not going to be able to tell, go through all of these individually. Okay, What I am going to do is, uh, at the end of service today, um, I'm, I prepared tables that have these tables. Now you, you may not be able to see this, from, but there's a lot. In other words, there's a, there's a lot just in the prologue about who, who Jesus is and asking, who is this? There are a lot of things that people say that are true. Now, there are a lot of things that people say in the Gospel of John that are not true, right? The unbelievers say everything they say about Jesus is a lie. He'll make that point out. But there are believers or those who are who are come to faith at the moment who said true things about Jesus. There's a lot of them. John the Baptist and Andrew and the woman at the well, so forth. And then third, all right, the third one is Jesus himself. Now, again, this is a, a one element of what Jesus says about himself. All of these things are only through chapter 11, verse 26, 27. Because as we go on, you know what, we can add to this. I probably will. When we go through the rest of chapter 11 and 12 and 13 through 17 and 18 and 19 and 20, when Thomas declares, my Lord and my God, that is certainly a statement of truth that somebody makes. But that's we haven't, we haven't gotten there yet. This is just from the beginning to where we are today. But Jesus make and this is the focal point. Remember, Jesus makes statements about himself in the form of I am something. By the way, we've seen, now notice this, that I am is the name of God, but notice what kind of name it is. What is it? I, it's right there. I am is the personal name for God. Why do I point that out? Because this is personal. You see it? It's personal for Jesus. It's personal for us. I am, what about you? I am, will you? I am, are you? I am the good shepherd, but are you my sheep? Individually, it's personal. You see that? It's personal. Personal name for God. 
I am, personal name for God, Yahweh, of course, we've seen that in the Hebrew. Now, in these statements, again, I'm repeating for emphasis. Excuse me, catching up. See, today I once I've talked about it extemporaneously. It's all my notes, but I got to say, all right, I already did that. Already said that. All right. I am. And he adds a descriptive phrase. By the way, we may get used to this, but these descriptions, the first time you read it, the first time you hear it, they're striking. They're unexpected. He feeds 5,000 people. But then he follows it up with saying, I am the bread. What? And then later on, he's going to say, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. That's striking. That's unusual. That grabs your attention. Again, it requires a response. And boy, did he get it, right? When he said that, when he said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, those who were not believing in him passed right by without even considering the real meaning of it identifying who he is and the fact that the bread is his flesh and he's going to die and and eating means to believe that right to take it as your own isn't that what you do when you eat you take something out there and you see it objectively but then it's personal i know it is for me and make it part of myself and a lot of times i enjoy it you should enjoy the truth when you eat it too okay i am with a descriptive phrase item full of impact, full of meaning. The first thing about how striking it is, though, and I've emphasized this already this morning a few times, but I want you to see it on the slide. You can read it. And that is, he always says the something. Always. He doesn't say, I am some bread. I am the bread. Hey, I'm a, I'm a good shepherd, man. No, he says what? I am the one and only good one and only shepherd. He doesn't say, I'm going, to ra- I'm going to be raised from the dead first, and then you. That's all true. But what does he say? I am the resurrection, the one and the only. That very three-letter word is striking. I am the way, only one. I am the truth, only one. I am the life, only one. The, 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 not and, the. What is he saying? He says, I'm the one and only. An impossible thing for a human to say and be true, right? A normal, unsupernatural human being. If you or I were to say this, right, people would rightfully be worried, right? If if I went too far in a direction like that, they may want to lock me up, as a matter of fact. That's how worried they would be, don't you think? Hey, guys, I am the bread. You better eat me. Not something a human being only can say, but something that the Son of God and the Son of Man has to say. You see that? It's striking. You pay attention, hopefully. You wake up, you look at it. So not only is he one and only, but he's the very embodiment of all these things. It's his person. See, we might say, well, you know, Jesus came as a man. Why? Right? I mean, we ask that question. But the fact of the matter is, is that to tell us who God is as the embodiment of God, God in the flesh came to us, you see. And these things about the I am are always 
emphasizing that, right? I am bread. I am the vine, right? You, right here, it's personal. It's on earth. You know about bread. You've seen vines. Those are the two basic things, by the way, that, that, uh, that agriculturally people understood about. What do I need to live? Bread. What makes life enjoyable? Wine. And Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the vine. The embodiment. Now, there's another thing about this. I've mentioned it already about these I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believed. Now, you might have heard that. I hope you're shocked the first time. You're amazed. At least hopefully it it piques your interest. But it feels like you're being called to account, right? Right before you. I'm not just some guy. I'm not even just a miracle worker or a great rabbi. I am the resurrection. Did you hear that? Because what is that? Can that? Let that reverberate in your heart for a minute. There's no way you can remain neutral to that. I am the life. You want life? Who here today doesn't want real life? Yeah. Who here today wants to die and not have a life after that? I got to tell you, if that's you, you're living a really terrible life and I have compassion for you. Because that's, by the way, that's where Job got to. Man, I wish I was never born. But that's not what we were designed for. This is the amazing thing. We only die because of a mistake. You understand that? A failure in the heart of being a man that all started with Adam, right? We weren't designed to die. And Jesus came to say, I'm going to set this right by my father so that you can live and live forever. You can't be neutral. He's provoking us, too. He's he's eliciting. Now, respond to that. Because you can have this, but if you believe in me. You'll never die if you believe in me. In other words, quite simply, he's saying, this is who I am. The resurrection, the life, the way. The bread divine is who I am. What about you? Who are you? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe in me? Like he asked Martha, do you believe this? Because if you do, you'll never die. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. My sheep know me. Who are you? Are you my sheep? And if not, here's how you. You become my sheep. It, it demands a response, not a response of works. You don't have to grow your wool and have me shear it. He already had that done. Right? He is the Lamb of God. No, all you have to do is believe that he is who he says he is. But you can't remain neutral. I. This is who I am, Jesus says. Who are you? Or who will you be? Or what? how will you respond? And, of course, there's only one right way to respond, right? How do you do the works of God? Believe in him who he has sent. He's saying, listen, I came to earth for you, right? Jesus didn't come to earth for himself. I mean, he was perfectly great in heaven in every possible way. God, the son of God, perfection, all righteous, all good, all loving in a perfect place. He certainly didn't come here for himself. He came here for Two, all right? They say two, not two humans, but his father, first and foremost. Never forget that. The first reason Jesus came to earth was to 
for his father to, to satisfy the father's will. But even beyond that, to vindicate the justice and righteousness of his father. That's first and foremost. That's one of the reasons he went to the cross. He said, my father's been offended by all the sins of the world, the very sin, the very thing about human beings that makes it impossible for them to be with me and my father forever. I'm going to come to set that straight, to make that right. And I'm going to be the substitute for all those people who can never do it themselves. And I'm going to present myself to my father. And he's going to look at my blood and say, now I'm satisfied. Now, whoever believes in you, the one who died and, and, and vindicated my righteousness, that person's going to live forever. Be- not because of anything about them, but because of my character. The fact that my righteousness has been satisfied, and now my love's going to kick in. That's why he came. He came for your benefit. He said, I'm God, and I took flesh. I did this so, so I could die for you. I did this for my father. But I also did this so you could learn who I am. In a personal way, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, learn from me, he says, learn about me, learn about my father. And when you do, believe it. I did all of this so that you would believe in me. I say who I am, Jesus says, in words that intrinsically involve you. You can't escape it. These are words not for angels, but for human beings who live in this world, on this, in this earth, in this world, on this earth. They call for a response from you beyond that. They demand a response for you. And again, there is only one right way to respond. And the question this morning is, is have you? Have you? Now, if you're a believer in Christ, of course, the answer is yes. I mean, that's what it means to be a believer in Christ. I believe, like Mother said, you know, we say I believe in, 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 that Jesus is God in the flesh and that he, he did die for me and he was buried and that God raised him from the dead. I believe that. Now, but if you're here, I, I, I never take for granted, by the way, that everybody that listens to my voice is a believer. I mean, that is the role of a pastor is to, is, as it were, feed the sheep. I don't really like that expression because that's Jesus, but the, to, to preach to the believer and to bring you up and, and edify you in the word. But I never take for granted. I mean, look, there's people who, who, who come to church, but they don't come to hear the word of God and believe it. You see. They may come for another reason, right? So you may, be, you may and I'm not, believe me, I, I don't want you to have any doubts or any concerns. You know who you are. But I'm just saying that there are times, you, well, first of all, and not only for you, but but because of who you are, if you're a believer, right? Which is another witness. We talk about the witnesses in the Gospel of John. You believe in Christ and you become a witness. You say, well, a witness has to know what you're witnessing about. So it's still relevant. Are you who Jesus describes? Are you one of his sheep? If not, how about now? Will you respond with the only right response now that you know that he is the way and the truth, that you know he is the resurrection and the life, that you know that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Will you now respond with faith? He's saying, you know what bread is? And he's saying to those people, by the way, when he said he was the bread of life, he's talking to the people who had just seen him take five loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people. That was real bread. It was real food. 
He's saying to them, you ate until you were satisfied physically. How about being satisfied, that thirst inside for life? How about that? Well, you know something? He said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of heaven. Will you eat this bread? You've eaten the physical one. Now how about eating the one that gives you eternal life? Me, Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. But here's the thing about me. My sheep know me. Question is what? Do you know me? Right? And here knowing is not just intellectual in the sense of a fact only. But it's also to believe it, right? You know me, it, it, it means that, that you know who I am and that you have a personal. It's personal between you and I, Jesus is saying. And then they follow me. Don't get that order wrong, by the way. The following is not to become a believer. I mentioned this. The following is what he's asking you to do afterwards in any event. But the key question about the shepherd is, are you one of my sheep? Are you one of them? Are you one of them that knows me and that I know? Are you, are you one of them? You can't sit on the fence. You either are or you aren't. Are you in or are you out? Don't sit on that fence, sheep, because you're going to get hurt. You're going to get more hurt if you, if you make the wrong decision. But you can't stay neutral. You want to know why? Because if you stay neutral, you've made your decision, you see. You can't sit there and say, well, hey, you know, maybe I will, maybe I won't. You know, I'm a good person. No. First of all, you're not. In and of yourself. But secondly, he came not only so you could be a good person and sit on a fence, that you would believe in him for eternal life. You can't say neutral about that. Let's look at the, the I, I am witness. I am statements we've already seen. Let's go over them again. John 6, 35. John 6, 35. He's going to say who he is. And he's going to say, will you? Are you? Will you respond? Have you responded? John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Keep, remember, life, okay, just park that word. Because you want to know something? We're going to see that every time he talks about who he is. It ends up in life for those who believe. I am the bread of life, but notice he who comes to me, there's a response, will not hunger ever. He who believes in me, there it is, will never thirst. People have a decision to make. Now he's going to say, There's a, there is a decision you can make and you don't want to do this. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. But here's the thing. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. I have come down from heaven. Notice why. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is God, the Father, who's set this all up for you. This is the will of God, the Father, who sent me. That of all he has given me, my, my people, the one who have eaten my, me as the bread, believed in me, wanting life and, and, and receiving it, of all those, <coughs> excuse me, I lose nothing. I lose none of them. Eternal security, by the way. Eternal security. What's that mean? When you believe in Christ, you have eternal life and you'll never lose it. You will be in heaven because you believed in Christ and he gave you eternal life. 
You won't lose one. The father won't lose one. But here's, and here it is. I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 40. For this is the will of my father. That's why I came. That everyone who beholds the son, Jesus, and believes in him will have eternal life. And I may, I myself will raise him up on the last day. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Let's go to John chapter 8 for the second one. John chapter 8 for the second one. Jesus says, I am something else. I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. But I am also something else. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am, personal name for God, not a light, but what? The light, the one and only, the embodiment of light, the essence of light. I am the light of the world, all people. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice the response. Okay, You might get a little nervous about follow me, but he's already defined that as being believe in me here. Context. Okay, Let's go to the third one. John chapter 10. Oops. John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door, the one and only, the essence of the sheep. All who came before me, they were not the door. They were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them, didn't hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came. Why did he come? Why did he take flesh? That they, the sheep, may have life. There's that life again. And have it abundantly, eternally. But but you have there's a response to all of this. You have to believe. You have to enter through him. Enter into eternal life by believing in him. Verse 11. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be that? Hey, there's the good shepherd. Right? For everybody. He dies for me. He has died for me. He was a hired hand, people you're used to having around, and not a shepherd, not the owner of the sheep. Sees danger, the wolf coming. And leaves the sheep and flees. That's not who you want. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. No. The hired hand flees because he's a hired hand. And is not concerned about the sheep. See, it's personal with Jesus. I am concerned about you, he says. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There's that response. Look at verse 26. Bad response. But you do not believe me because you are not of my sheep. They go together. However, verse 27, here's the one response that's the right one. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. To who? My sheep. But the question is, are you one of Jesus' sheep? 
they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. There's that life again. I give eternal life to them. And where we started this morning, John 11, 25 to 26. I, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Simple response. This isn't complicated. God is simple, direct, and gracious. But he's not neutral. He's not wishy-washy. He's not lukewarm about anything. It's yes or no. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. You want to live? Believe in Jesus. Even if you die, you'll live. Believe in Jesus. If you live and believe in Jesus, you will never die. Ever. Ever. And again, I point this out. I'll put it on the slide. I hope you caught how all the I am statements ultimately lead to life. That's why he came. We were dead. And the Father wants us to live with him forever. That's why Jesus came. Set things right. They lead to life. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, I do have a handout for you this morning. At this time, I'm going to have it distributed. I'm going to get started and hopefully you guys will finish. It's okay. You can stand up. You can Oh, by the way, those of you that are on Skype, um, two things. One, this will be posted on our website after service at some point. But also, I've I've included the handout in the chat. All right, the chat. It's good to get get to. If you don't know what the chat is, my apologies, but it's good to be familiar with it. When we get together every Thursday for Bible study, I, I put the notes, the teaching summary there too, okay? So you really want to check the chat. You can check it now if you want to have the handout. Give you a moment. Give you a moment to see it. If you're really fast, I suppose you can even print it. Make sure, you, make sure you're on mute. I think you all are. If you print it. <laughs> all right. Again, this, this goes, this is, this is about Everything from the first verse of John, the prologue, all the way to where we are today in John eleven twenty seven. There's three tables here. Again, uh, you're quick, you look quickly, there's a lot. Uh, can you imagine if I tried today to do a, a service and cover all of this? You guys have to take a week's vacation to do that. With me. I figured I'd give it to you in a, in a table, three tables, so you can peruse it. I want you to... I want you to look at it, you know, go over it quickly, get the sense of what's going on, then go back and read a few. Always the one question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Make sure you take it slowly the second time, put it aside for a while, come back to it. But most importantly, respond to it. When John in the prologue says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Again, let that reverberate in your heart. Take it seriously. Believe it. Uh, it will. It will again call that question into focus. Who is this? All right. The second table is all the things that people have said about him that were true. Again, all the way from one one, all the way to where we are in eleven twenty seven. People like John the Baptist. And his disciples, Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel, Peter, Nicodemus, 
and others, the woman at the well, people in Bethany, and so forth. Third table, we come to Jesus. So we have what John says about him in the prologue, what other people say about him throughout these 11 chapters, and what Jesus says about himself. And that's simple but powerful. I am, and I am the. And again, he's saying, I know who I am. This is who I am. Here you have it. It's right in front of you. I'm showing it. I'm looking you in the eye when I say it, Jesus says. But the question is, who are you? And now that I've told you who I am, how are you going to respond? Are you going to give the only correct response, as it were, and believe me? Believe in me? Believe these things about me? Believe that I am the bread of life? That I am the light of the world? That, I, that if you believe in me, you will never hunger or thirst? You'll never walk in darkness. You will have eternal life. You will live even if you die. But the question always is, do you believe this? All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day you've made. Thank you that you are as great and more as everything we sang about you this morning. And, and, and thank you, Father, that you packed in so, 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 so much through the ministry and the, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So much in what we've seen already in the Gospel of John, and we've got an, another 10 chapters to go. So we ask this morning, Father, that we would have, reserve that time for you, not just aimlessly, but, but with purpose. And great purpose now would be to review where we've been, help us to review where we've been in the Gospel. John and all the things that you have had revealed to us about Jesus, your son. And Father, we do once again want to finish this morning. Allow me to give the gospel that Jesus Christ is your son, that he came to earth to die for our sins. The word of God, the son of God took flesh and dwelt among us. He died for us on the cross. He died for the sin of the world. He was buried he died for every one of everybody's sins, your sins this morning. If not you, Father, but the person listening. He, he was buried. Then on the third day, he was he raised him from the dead, Father. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ is the one who died for your sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. Such a person will live forever and have eternal life and never perish. Father, finally, we just want to pray for all those who are in need in any, any way this morning. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Mentioned uh, Bible study on Thursday. Please, please come. Yeah, and interesting. We're, in the, we're looking at the book of Isaiah. Great, incredible. If you want to talk about who is Jesus, you want to talk, you have to master the book of Isaiah if you really want to know. All right. In an Old Testament, you know, context. I mean, I mean, as great as what it says, by the way, in Isaiah, it's even greater in the New Testament. Don't get me wrong. The Gospel of John, amazing. The Epistles of Paul, amazing. Letter to Colossians, astounding. But also, to kind of understand things from, from the perspective of the people in, in, in the nation of Israel, Isaiah is so important. So please join us. It's a textbook, too, remember. We're studying the Bible. And we're going to different places in the Bible. We're just starting with where we are every week in, in the book of Isaiah. Next week, by the way, we, next week, yeah, this Thursday, 
we are going to be looking at a subject that not too many people know about or understand or have thought about, and that is the uh, the Gog invasion in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So, join us. All right. Again, simple prayer. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for calling us here. Thank you for giving us the spirit and your word. Help us, Father, to respond in the proper way to all these things. We ask this in Jesus' name by the power of the spirit. Amen.